hope everything's going good thank you so much for joining us as always uh, make sure to follow us on all social platforms make sure to um follow our instagram our twitter our facebook uh check out our youtube make sure to hit that notification bell please so that you get notified of every episode i know we've been slacking um with our episodes but it's very important to us that we get the best guests for every topic that we attempt to dive into and today we have a very interesting topic a topic that i know nothing absolutely nothing about um but i think um zenge and our guest today are going to help us become a little bit well informed so i'm actually going to let zenge introduce our guest today and uh, we can dive into the topic yeah hi um so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh china and taiwan now why are we going to be talking about china and taiwan when we're basically talking about African affairs because we're going to be looking at the trends on how China and Taiwan seem to be fighting over influence in the African continent. And with us, we have a special guest from Malaysia, um, who is actually a PhD candidate at the University of Surrey, specializes in East Africa, um, East Asian international relations, um, Daryl Liu. Hi everyone, I'm currently a PhD candidate at the University of Surrey, and my degree and my master's dissertation have all been about East Asian international relations, and so particularly the um, Greater China region comprising of China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. And this is where my special speciality lies in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Daryl. And I think you actually kind of touched on what my first question really is about. I mean, I, I, I mean, whenever, whenever I watch the news and I hear about China and Taiwan, I'm kind of, I don't really know too much about it. So I'm pretty sure that, um, hence the name Africa for Dummies, I'm, I'm guessing that our our, um, our fans also don't know too much about uh, the China and uh, Taiwan conflict. Could you just give us a little bit of background as to what's going on there and why there's always this tension beef between these two countries? So briefly speaking, the China-Taiwan conflict started at the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. So when Mao Zedong, which is the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, in mainland China, won the Chinese Civil War and established the People's Republic of China, which is what we commonly know as China now. The nationalist leader, Chiang Kai-shek, fled to Taiwan and re-established the Republic of China on the island of Taiwan. So at that point onwards, China has basically been, been split into two, with a regime on the mainland called the People's Republic of China and the regime on Taiwan called the Republic of China, which incidentally, is actually the China that was established after the overthrow of the Qing dynasty in 1911. So both Chinas claim to be the sole representative of China in the world stage, and they both competed for the United Nations China seat, which eventually the PRC got in 1971 because of a shift in US policy leading to Richard Nixon, recognizing the Richard Nixon government visiting the PRC, And eventually in 1979, the US government recognizing the People's Republic of China as the sole China. So there's this policy called the One China policy, which basically means that if you recognize the government of the PRC, then you cannot have any official relations with the government of Taiwan because they still call themselves the Republic of China, even though we now more commonly call them Taiwan. And this was the same for Taiwan during the Qiang uh, dynasty, which is during the 1960s and 70s. So if any government had any official relations with the PRC, then the ROC, the Republic of China, would officially terminate their relations with them. So I guess that's sort of a 
quick background into how all this shenanigans started, basically, with the whole split, because the PRC claims Taiwan to be their territory, part of China, and they have never renounced the use of force to uh, reclaim Taiwan as part of their territory, which is why we have seen so many incursions by the Chinese Air Force into Taiwanese airspace. Whilst the Taiwanese government claimed themselves to be independent or de facto independent, they still haven't officially changed their name from Republic of China to Taiwan, because doing so would be technically declaring independence and inviting a Chinese invasion to them. Wow. Um, so that's that's a very comprehensive roundup of the bulk of the 20th, 20th century um, China-Taiwan relations. Um, so basically what we have here is Taiwan and China are fighting over who is China. So for, for those, just for those who are, you know, just trying to wrap this around, basically there's two Chinas and one, and each of them are claiming to be the legitimate China ever since the end of World War II. And once it was formalized, the, the, the main China, uh, as Daryl said, was uh, put into the Security Council and replaced what we know as Taiwan. Um, so the PRC, for those that are listening, is the People's Republic of China. It's the official China. And then the uh, Republic of China is Taiwan. So we refer to China, the, the Republic of China as Taiwan, um, just to make it easier. So now coming to the African continent, in the past decade, we've seen countries like Liberia, we've seen countries like Chad, Senegal, Malawi, Gambia used to be called the Gambia. I don't know if it's still the Gambia. And um, Sao Tome and Principe, I think uh, this is small island state, West Africa and Burkina Faso, uh, they've all switched alliances from China, the People's Republic of China. Um, and so basically, why are we seeing a trend on the African continent with former friends of Taiwan? And why is it so important? Like, why is this something that, you know, why is this something that people are studying? Like, why are some countries shifting and uh, choosing China over Taiwan? Because often when we hear, you know, Chinese relations in Africa, it's always about, you know, debt trap diplomacy, it's always, no one necessarily knows about Taiwan when they're talking about China-African relations. So basically, why are several African countries that used to side with Taiwan now shifting to China? So I think, first of all, we know that in international relations, there's no such thing as friends. It's always the cost-benefit of, if I were friendly to this country, would that bring more benefit to me compared to the other country. So as we, as we can see during the Cold War, there's this rivalry between the US and Soviet Union. So the decision on whether to recognize um, the PRC or Taiwan has more of an ideological background into it with more um, anti-communist countries often siding with Taiwan, whereas more pro-communist or pro-Soviet countries, pro-China countries siding with the PRC. As we can see at the end of the Cold War, there's no more ideological bias anymore in terms of relations. So it's more about economy. And we know that the Chinese economy has been growing at a very rapid speed as of late. And this effectively means that China has more money to throw into the African continent to make friends. And what Taiwan can offer for African countries is aid in terms of medical medical help, um, agricultural help. We, we know that Taiwan has helped lots of African countries develop their agricultural sector, especially in terms of the cultivation of rice, which Taiwan is um, quite famous for. But these are not tangible things that the leaders can brag about. The leaders can't go and brag about, you know, we've produced so and so tons of rice this, this year. This is not something that they can brag about. Whereas what China can bring in Africa is shiny new infrastructure. I think as both of you can know that Chinese investment in Africa is all about infrastructure, 
new roads, new airports, you know, new parliament buildings, whatever. And mm. the leaders of many of these countries, when they see what China can offer in the continent, they think, why should we still be friends with Taiwan when what they can offer is, you know, building a new hospital when China can literally help us build an entire country with new infrastructure. Mm. Yeah. So basically, um, it's, 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 I mean, for lack of a better term, what China offers is way more sexier than what Taiwan offers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry to hate. I'm sorry. Putting it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to hate on Nathan because I know, like, with agriculture, he's like shaking his head and just like <laughs> interesting, interesting. Because um, uh, yeah. not many people know about how how Taiwan actually helped uh, several African countries in terms of rice and, and issues like that. And I actually think I, I mean, think was, yeah. Sorry. And I but think then, we all know that um, countries in Africa tend to be. Um, dictatorships or you know less mm -hmm. democratic countries and you know we all know that dictators they like to brag about how advanced their country is and they can't brag about how advanced the country is if what they can offer is bags of rice so yeah. you know china makes much more sense in this case and I, I could be wrong but many african countries uh tend to be their agricultural systems are not i mean some of them are some of them are, are focused on rice, but I would say many of them are focused on other things like uh, maize and uh, wheat and things like that. So I think I don't think it would necessarily make too much sense for an African leader to put all his eggs in the Taiwan basket and say, develop yeah, my, my rice, you know, well. yeah, yeah, develop my, my, uh, my, my, my rice system. Yeah. So, for example, um, in 20, 2018. Um, Iswatini was the only uh, was the only country that correct me if I'm wrong here, Zengi, the one who does a lot of IR here. But it's the only country that recognized Taiwan. So, what do you think is in for? Um, what's the incentive for Iswatini to recognize Taiwan as a country? So, I think Iswatini, as we know, is more of a um, authoritarian, anarchical country, and basically the royal family themselves have a lot to gain from recognizing Taiwan because Taiwan has given substantial economic aid to Eswatini. And there's no fear from the royal family that Taiwan would overthrow the royal family because the Taiwanese government know that if they can maintain good relations with the royal family, then this, this tie could be secured. Whereas many opposition parties in Eswatini have often called for the government to formally recognize the PRC, and there might be support from the PRC government in terms of that as well. So the Eswatini government might fear that if they choose to recognize China, then their regime could become insecure as well. So would you say that Eswatini, formerly the kingdom of Swaziland, uh, which is quite fascinating because it's an absolute monarchy. So would you say Iswatini sort of uses the fact that it's the few, one of the few friends of Taiwan as leverage or, or not necessarily leverage, but like extractive power, which basically means... You could, I mean, you could use means, the word leverage. You can use the word leverage because hmm. Iswatini knows that Taiwan has only a few, you know, diplomatic allies remaining. So they could basically extract what they want from Taiwan. Like recently, I think it was about two years ago, Taiwanese government gifted a whole brand new, uh, gifted an A340 to the Eswatini government as a royal private jet. So by the Eswatini government, you basically mean the king. <laughs> so got yeah, I mean, if we, if we, if we know the, the government of Eswatini, we know that the king equals the government. So basically, the Taiwanese government gifted the king a whole new, uh, a brand new plane. <laughs> so this is actually quite interesting. Um, 
So um, now when you look at the, the other issues, right, uh, when it comes to Taiwan relations in Africa, Taiwan also recognizes another state uh, which also has recognition problems, uh, Somaliland, in the northern part of the internationally recognized Somalia, right? Okay, so Somalia is this big country on the Horn of Africa. It, it essentially is the Horn of Africa. And there's a northern region that basically has autonomously functioned as an independent country, but it's not recognized. Everyone else recognizes it as part of Somalia. Um, many people say that is actually more stable and uh, so on and so forth. So anyway, Taiwan has recognized it. And this is just contrary to everyone else because Somalia has recognized China. And obviously China has put in some infrastructure in Somalia recently. I think some oil, I, I could be corrected, has produced oil pipelines and, um, you know, mineral extraction. So how does Taiwan basically, basically what I'm trying to ask is because, you know, Somaliland is unrecognized, how does Taiwan gauge who to be friends with? Um, so does the lack, lack of recognition of Somaliland actually matter? Does it, like, what's its value system in picking friends in Africa? Does it just pick anyone who hates the PRC or does it just, you know? I think the um, interesting about Somaliland is because it's actually in a similar situation as Taiwan. You know, both are countries with what we would call internal sovereignty, which means they have a government that basically controls a territory within a country where the people can actually vote for their own government, where the government controls the police force, etc. As you said, Somaliland is much more peaceful than many countries on the African continent as well, even though Somaliland has less diplomatic recognition than most of the other countries. So I think Taiwan sees itself in the situation that Somaliland faces, being a relatively stable country that, you know, lacks recognition from, from other countries. So Taiwan has been practicing what we call pragmatic diplomacy, which means that instead of focusing on ideology, like during the Cold War, it has basically tried to expand its pool of friends so it's not just about formal recognition anymore for Taiwan. Of course, formal recognition is important for Taiwan because having external sovereignty is one way of a country exerting itself on the international stage. But at the same time, we should note that Taiwan also has extensive informal relations with European countries like the UK or even Baltic states like Lithuania and, of course, the US. We all know that the US and Taiwan don't have official diplomatic ties, but their informal ties are really strong. And Taiwan often uses these informal ties to leverage their position in the international stage because they know that they don't have representation in the UN, in, you know, in international organizations. So I think what Taiwan is doing here is they're basically seeing Somaliland as in a similar situation to them. And they're trying to leverage their support, you know, they're saying to people around the world saying, you know, look, we're both countries that are relatively stable, but why aren't you all recognizing us, even though we're better than other countries on offer? And of course, Somaliland, what they get from recognizing Taiwan is being able to, you know, say to the US, look, we're also part of the group of country that promotes democracy. So they could leverage this to actually gain more support from the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, certainly. You mentioned the um, U.S. and uh, it's a good segue into the next question, which is um, uh, because Taiwan can be considered a U.S. ally and uh, yeah, can the China-Taiwan China rivalry for influence be seen in the wider context of uh, U.S.-China relations? 
Um, does Taiwan have the same international value system as the U.S., you know, like democracy, human rights? So when we look at the development of democracy in Taiwan during the Cold War, when it was ruled under the nationalist government of Chiang Kai-shek and Chiang Ching-kuo, which are father and son, by the way, they aren't really the most democratic countries that we see because it is a highly authoritarian one-party military dictatorship in Taiwan during that period. They had martial law for 38 years in Taiwan before it was finally lifted in 1987, if I remember correctly. But it was during that time that they recognized that continuing to be an authoritarian state will not benefit them because they know that the U.S. foreign policy after the Cold War shifted to more of a focus on human rights. So Taiwan became one of the few countries to successfully shift from a dictatorship to a democracy with no bloodshed. We see the first elections in Taiwan in 1996 that elected um, Li Teng Hui as president. And then in, two th- in the year 2000, we saw one of the first transitions in uh, between two parties in East Asia, whereby Chen Shui-bian from the pro-independence Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan won the elections. And it was during that period that the government recognized that they could use their position as one of the beacons of democracy in East Asia to highlight the injustices that they're facing. You know, they could say to yes, look, we're one of the most democratic countries in East Asia. We deserve recognition. And that's what they've been doing, highlighting their democratic credentials in order to differentiate them between China and Taiwan. So what we could see is that Taiwan is now part of what we would call the liberal rules-based order. They follow international law, they promote democracy, they promote human rights. And the US, of course, in the recent rivalry with China, has also highlighted how Taiwan has been in the forefront of promoting human rights in East Asia. The U.S. has used Taiwan as a key ally in their, you know, in their competition with um, China as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a very good um, sort of dyna- analysis of the dynamics of U.S. and uh, Taiwanese relations vis-a-vis China. Yeah, no, I was uh, I was going to say that it sounds interesting when you talk about all the um, democratic achievements of 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 Taiwan. And yet you see so many, I I could be wrong, but you see a lot of videos of their parliament fighting and stuff like that. So it's always just, uh, (laughs) it's always just I mean, I guess you could say that um, an expression of democracy in a sense, because Mm, um, party rivalries in Taiwan are quite intense. Mm -hmm, Yeah, yeah, it's like like WWE almost. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you see the same, I think, I don't know why, but you see the same thing happening in South Korea as well. You know, they're, really? they've also transitioned from, you know, being a mm-hmm. sort of dictatorship-like country into a democracy. And, you know, their parliamentarians are fighting in parliament as well. Yeah, Uganda. thing, probably? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uganda and South Africa take the cake for Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zengi, I'm just ask the next question. Yeah, sure. Um, so there's, uh, there's an interesting case study in Chad. So... Chad switched alliances to China, the People's Republic of China, in 2006. In 2020, however, the Taiwanese state-owned petroleum company, Chinese Petroleum Corporation, CPC, celebrated the first shipment of oil from Chad to Taiwan. Right? Uh, now, make complicating matters further. The CPC from Taiwan and the Chinese private conglomerate called CEFC each owned 35% of oil exploration rights in Chad. 
even though Chad does not diplomatically uh, recognize Taiwan anymore. So now what we're seeing here is sort of like, basically what I'm trying to ask is, is Chad trying to balance China and Taiwan? Is, 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 it, is it possible for African countries not to have to pick between China and Taiwan? Can, is there a way sort of like, to slip in between the cracks of this, the, the sort of um, non-negotiable one-China policy, and how, how, if you have any examples, how how countries sort of secretly engage in Taiwan diplomatically. So I think this this case study you mentioned is quite interesting. You know, you gave me a head up, heads up about it. So, so, so the deal that Chad made with this, with CPC, the Taiwanese Petroleum Company, was made before Chad actually switched relations with. Uh, or from China, uh, from Taiwan to China in 2006. And I, my own thinking into this matter is I think in this case, commercial interests trump political ideology because both sides got what they wanted. You know, Taiwan got a deal that allowed them to get petroleum from Chad, whereas China, they stole a diplomatic ally from Taiwan. So you could say Taiwan lost more because they lost a diplomatic ally, but in a sense, they still had the um, petroleum deal. So in terms of commercial interest, they lost nothing. So it's for China, uh, funny enough, would you say it's easier for countries to deal with Taiwan on a strictly commercial basis than on a political basis then? Does China yeah, not I, mind? I guess, or? I guess you could say so, because Taiwan, they, they're, they're quite pragmatic in terms of what they want from countries. So they don't mind whether you call them Taiwan, Republic of China, China, Chinese Taipei, whatever. They just want a deal. They don't mind, for example, like the commercial offices that many countries, that Taiwan opens in many countries, like in Malaysia, it's officially called the Chinese Taipei Trade Representative Office. You know, because of pressure from China, obviously, we can't use the term Taiwan or Republic of China. So just said, oh, well, let's use another name then, because... You know, Taiwan is quite flexible in terms of what they want to achieve because they have been practicing this so-called pragmatic diplomacy for quite some time now because they realize the restrictions that China is giving them, is cornering them in because they don't, China doesn't allow, allow them to use the term Republic of China or, you know, Taiwan. As we can see, you know, recently, I think in Lithuania, they allowed Taiwan to open a trade office in Lithuania called the Taiwanese Representative Office. And in retaliation, China actually downgraded their, their uh, relations with um, Lithuania from ambassador status to charge d'affaires. So as you can see, China is actually quite sensitive about all of these, whereas Taiwan is much more pragmatic. So essentially, China is way more sensitive when it comes to um, political issues. Yeah. Um, I, I was also quite interested in how, you know, um, and I'm, I'm going on a slight tangent, like historically, and this probably relates to the previous question as well, when the US ally, historically, I think Taiwan had some sort of uh, formal relations with uh, the apartheid South African government, right? And when, and China was uh, in one way or another providing resources for the ANC. Uh, and when Mandela came into power, I think for a while, they were deliberating over Taiwan still being recognized, yet, China had sort of supported them when they were in the trenches uh, against apartheid. Uh, and eventually they decided to recognize the PRC and China, now South Africa is part of the BRICS and, you know, is, I wouldn't say an ally, but they have, they have very amicable relations with China. How, how, how is sort of, um, and then even historically, and this is not even like a question, this is like more like a reflection. 
because in the DRC, uh, and I think I was talking to you about this at the time, the DRC also was sort of a strong backer of Taiwan during the Cold War because the Cold War was sort of helping Taiwan and there was sort of a, at least a group of countries that were still committed to Taiwan. The, you know, Mobutu Sesekos Congo, not pretty. <laughs> uh, apartheid South Africa, yeah, we know that story. Not the best countries uh, to live in, yes. I would say. Yeah, um, especially with these colors on our skins. So would you say that the Cold War was, the end of the Cold War was a bad thing for Taiwan? Um, I think... I wouldn't conclusively say that the end of the Cold War was a bad thing for Taiwan, but them losing UN representation was definitely a major, you know, turning point for them in terms of their international recognition. Because once they lost their seat in the UN, their number of diplomatic allies actually plummeted. Because for many countries, there's no use in recognizing Taiwan anymore because, you know, they're not a permanent member of the UN Security Council anymore. So what's their use? And obviously, with the end of the Cold War, ideology no longer plays a big role in international relations. It's commercial uh, yes. ideology. It's so like, trade. Yeah, so what it, what it kind of looks now, for, so for, for those that I'm, I'm just trying to demystify is weird uh, international relation uh, jargons. Basically, what it is now is sort of like, if you want to deal with Taiwan, treat it sort of like a side chick, like in a secret way. Uh, yeah. Give it, give it like, you know, it's, a secret um, name. I think, I think you could um, say, in a way, it's uh, your mistress, you know. Your wife is China, <laughs> but you have a mistress. We all know it's Taiwan, but you can't call it Taiwan because your wife will be angry. So you're going to call your mistress Chinese Taipei instead. And I think mm-hmm. even flights, even like flights to China gets very angry about flights. Like if, I think Ethiopian Airlines, I don't know if they wanted to fly to um, uh, Taipei, which is the capital of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. They had to sort of just put Taipei rather than, you know, the Republic of China. It's right? actually There's an not issue just with... Ethiopia Airlines. All airlines that fly to both China and Taiwan have been subjected to this pressure whereby they have to list Taiwan as Taiwan, China or Taiwan, province of China. Wow. It's one of those ways. It's, I guess you could say it's quite petty because we all know deep down that Taiwan is not part of China, but China still wants to exert their pressure over these airlines. And we all know that the Chinese flight market before COVID is one of the largest in the world. So airlines can't afford to lose this big market. So they're forced to comply with these measures. So, you know, you know the wife mistress thing I was talking about, Taiwan is more like the mistress because relations with the mistress can only be tolerated if the wife tolerates it. So countries often have relations with Taiwan to the level where China tolerates it, tolerates it i.e. commercial relations. That's why Taiwan has relatively few free trade agreements signed or, you know, relatively few deals signed with other countries because China view these kind of things as uh, things that sovereign independent states do. And of course, China doesn't view Taiwan as sovereign nor independent. So it forbids countries, it pressures countries to not actually deal officially with um, Taiwan. I see. And a bit of a personal question, I guess, and a bit maybe a bit too simplistic. Um, you mentioned, like, it seems like China is a bit very, very, um, or oh, let me say it's quite sensitive about this issue. And you talk about how this issue is all about um, commercial and it's all about, you know, industrialization and, and business and all these types of things. So I guess my question would be, if especially uh, somebody that, that's living in a developing country and say, God, God forbid, but say if a situation like, 
the Russia-Ukraine situation were to happen in China and Taiwan, where you sort of have to pick a side. Like, is China willing to burn a bridge that is extremely beneficial over this? Like, how how sensitive is this? I think so. I think in my from my understanding, what you're trying to ask is whether will China behave like what like Russia basically. So I think obviously China places heavy ideological um, importance in in the reunification because Taiwan is that one territory of China that hasn't been reunified with motherland yet. So, you know, many commentators are saying that this is what Xi Jinping might be trying to achieve because he's pushing for a um, historic third term and he might use that third term to, you know, reunify Taiwan with motherland and complete the great rejuvenation of the Chinese people. But at the same time, I think all countries are mostly rational, I would say. Apart from Russia, probably. Um, and, and I think with Russia being such a pariah now, once they invaded Ukraine, I think China would try would heed this as a lesson and not invade Taiwan, at least in the short term, because they know that the uh, price that they would pay for that would be quite heavy. You know, it's not just China that or Taiwan that's going to be paying the price, but the whole world, because we know that the world economy relies heavily on China. And when it comes to Taiwan, Taiwan is the largest producer of semiconductors in the world. And if, God forbid, China invades Taiwan, we're not going to have iPads or computers for a very long time. Unless and, 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 and aside from, you know, these intermediary type of goods like semiconductors, even, you know, quite some famous brands, I think, is it Acer? Acer laptops? Yes, Acer yeah. is. Acer and um, I'm Asus. actually using an Acer right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, You're Acer a symbol and, of Taiwan's um, economic progress, right there. I didn't know yeah, that. Even, you know, <laughs> even your iPhone is manufactured by Foxconn, which is actually owned by a Taiwanese billionaire. So I'm actually now there. Like, it would be interesting to see. Uh, the connections between African minerals and Taiwanese investments and then just sort of compare them with China. But obviously that's a topic for another day, but it sounds like a rabbit hole that I would probably dive deep into. Um, yeah, and speaking of yeah. which, like, why do you think, because it seems Taiwan and China seem so far away and it's easy for me as somebody that's in Africa to just be like, yeah, let them let them deal with it. like let them let them deal with it it's not going to affect me um directly at least um so question would be for lack of a better term why should i care that this is going on and why is it important for me as a person in africa to know more about and be a little bit more informed about what's going on so i think the china taiwan rivalry will be one of the major flashpoints in asia in general at least in the short to medium term, because we know that China is increasingly becoming more uh, proud of itself as a country. And obviously what it wants to do is to move away from what they call the century of humiliation, when they were humiliated by um, foreign countries like the UK, even Japan. And obviously reunification of Taiwan with China would be one of the major ways that this rejuvenation can be completed. And I mean, China itself is important for us to, to, to note about because the important role that China is playing in Africa right now, and obviously African countries, if they can balance it right, can extract the maximum benefit from both China and Taiwan. And, and by benefit, I hope we're not talking about uh, buying private jet. Uh, <laughs> I hope we're talking about benefits. <laughs> I know we're talking about benefits for, for, for everyone. Uh, you know, yeah. 
I think countries in Africa, for example, they can leverage on Taiwan's expertise in the semiconductor industry or even in the, in the agricultural sector, you know, to, to their benefit. Yeah, I just wanted to add also, like, you know, when it comes to sort of the direct impact of these China-Taiwan relations, when understanding Africa-China relations, it's very hard to ignore Zambia um, because it's almost <laughs> always there, irritatingly. Um, yeah. What I found was, I think, in towards 19... So Zambia's first president was Kaunda. And then the 1991 election was this, you know, democratic watershed election. And the opponent at that time had won. But prior to his uh, him becoming president, he talked about recognizing Taiwan. And it was sort of like a threat to China's cozy relationship with the Zambian government. And then you saw this again happen in, in uh, 2000, in the- 11. You know, yeah, 2011, leading to the 2011 election. Uh, the opposition leader at that time, Michael Sata, threatened to recognize Taiwan. And the Chinese embassy actually said they would basically sever relations with Zambia in the event that he becomes president. And from Guy Scott, um, Guy Scott was Zambia's former vice president and interim president um, under Michael Sata. And in his book, Adventures in Zambian Politics, a story in black and white, he actually said that they received monetary resources. You know, they were funded by Taiwan because of their position. Of course, I think wow. it must have been some sort of gimmick. Yeah, this is this is according to Guy Scott, the, yeah, yeah. that political party was actually funded in part by Taiwan. So this is one of the rare moments that you can see Taiwan actually investing, you know, in domestic political parties in anticipation that they might, but it didn't happen. It Again, didn't happen. <laughs> you know, um, um, so I think what you're mentioning here is quite interesting because the Taiwanese government have been practicing what they called checkbook diplomacy for quite a while during um, the term of uh, Chen Shui-bian as, as president from 2000 to 2008. Uh, there was, because there was intense rivalry between China and Taiwan during that time in terms of trying to get as much diplomatic ally as possible. So what often, what happened was the Taiwanese government would promise a certain country or certain government, say $100 million in development aid. In return for that country, recognizing Taiwan instead of China. I mean, there's a scandal that happened in Papua New Guinea where the incoming government was bribed by Taiwan to actually recognize them. And Taiwan, I think Taiwan actually paid a few hundred million dollars for that. But that government only lasted for like two days and it had to abandon it and switch back um, recognition to China. It was actually quite a big scandal in, in Taiwan because people were asking why the, why did the government spend so much money for a country to recognize us us for two days wow so it's also a lot of um sort of bad judgment it's sort of like throwing money at anything that looks like you know and it seems that once these governments actually come to power or lose power you know a short-lived like in papua new guinea they sort of come to pragmatic diplomacy and say okay uh, china can give us more and it also looks good for an election so yeah um so i think i mean in, in... even even in the case of um the solomon islands it said, you know, we're the staunchest ally of Taiwan. And then in an instant, snap, they decided to recognize China and look at look what's happening in the Solomon Islands now. You know, we have China Chinese police being stationed on the island to train police force in the Solomon Islands. So what I would say is just that there's no such thing as friends in international relations, only, you know, I guess friends with benefits in a sense. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that could mean something else. But anyway, yeah. um, 
Yeah, uh, that's kind of a pessimistic tone to sort of end it on. I don't know if Nathan, you have something else to add or just. Oh, no, 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 nothing, nothing from my end. It was just interesting to hear a lot about um, how complex the situation is. Oh, you can go ahead. Uh, I mean, in in short, I think the China-Taiwan rivalry, rivalry in Africa is quite an interesting one. And I personally think it has not been studied quite as much as we should because of how actually you can see how China has risen into this powerful country that it has been able to overcome Taiwan's influence in Africa, because Taiwanese influence in Africa is not something that's been there only for a few years, but has been there since the start of the Cold War. But even though it has such a, a, a long presence in Africa, it's still being trumped by China now. So yeah, the whole dynamic of it is it's actually quite interesting. It's really interesting to, uh, I'm pretty sure this is probably not the only time we're going to ask you to come and uh, discuss this. Perhaps we can have another discussion on uh, China, specifically China and Africa relations. Um, yeah, but no, thank you so much, Dara, for um, joining us on this episode. Um, as always, to all of our uh, fans, make, please make sure to hit that notification bell and uh, see you guys next time. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast as well. Sure, no worries. And um Everyone, just make sure you leave us a five-star rating, preferably, and um, spread the word. 